How long have you had these droids? About three or four seasons. They're up for sale if you want them. Let me see your identification. You don't need to see his identification. We don't need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. He can go about his business. You can go about your business. Move along. Move along. Welcome to WAP Culture, the podcast featuring me, John Podhoritz, in New York. In Also in New York, I think, Rob Long, you are in New York? I am, I am in New York. Yes, I am. Fabulous. And, uh, and in D.C., Jonah Goldberg. Hi, Jonah. Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, well, we're, I think it's, uh, in my household, things are wonderful because... Hanukkah is at last over. Uh, for those of you who do not um, who do not participate in the celebration of the Festival of Lights, um, uh, there is no way to please uh, your children. So just understand <laughs> that your children will they're not ha- since they get eight little presents. They right. don't like eight little presents. They don't like one big present. This There's- seems this seems tailor made to. I'm trying to, I'm trying to tiptoe around this. Taylor, this holiday seems tailor made to a culture that is notoriously <laughs> difficult to satisfy. Well, I think that is that is that is well put. Okay. Um, I think the general problem- in, in a marvelous way. I mean, the the, the, the Yiddish theater yeah. is so magnificent, and and, and all that. I mean, but it does seem to be so, like simply not ever really getting what it is that you want. So Rob, you're you're just saying that like <laughs> like Donald Trump, maybe more you and Donald Trump are the most pro-Jewish people. That's it. In the world, there's nobody more pro-Jewish than you and Donald Trump. <laughs> is that right? Well, I would say nobody, but yeah. Donald Trump has a doctor's note affirming yeah. Yeah. that he is the most outrageously healthily right. Philo-Semitic person. Are we getting right into that? Are we getting no, into no, Okay. No, I'm just riffing. We have to, we have to, do we? I'm we, just riffing. I was just, I was just, because this is what has been uh, consuming me for the last week is the fact that um, there do, just there doesn't seem to be any real way to satisfy children, my children who are not particularly spoiled or acquisitive or anything like that. There's something in, ineffably disappointing about um, a holiday on which you get you get eight little gifts, you know. It's just not. It's right. somehow it just doesn't. Uh, it's just not satisfying. No, I yeah, I, but, but I mean, uh, you know, as someone who has a foot in both worlds, as yes. it were, um, it is not like Christmas always comes off without a hitch for kids either. You know, they're always sort of like looking. You know, sort of like the damsel and in, in Braveheart, they're always looking over the horizon <laughs> for that, for that <laughs> one last when gift. When you're stuck at somebody at a party and you're always looking around for somebody better, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, it happens. You know, yeah, but you know, it's, it's I, the nature of childhood. I'm not sure it's it's as quintessentially Jewish <laughs> as as certainly Rob and his disnified anti-Semitism is trying to make it sound. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating all ethnic cultures. I just, I, uh, I'm just trying to like, um, I still believe in ethnic um, differences and ethnic humor. So I'm, you know, just, well, just notice stuff. Nobody, nobody loves Christmas more. No one loves Christmas more as a, as a holiday, not as a religious event, but as a holiday more than somebody like me who doesn't celebrate it. 
because I have no negative associations with Christmas morning, the problems with the lights and untangling the lights and the, yeah. the tree melting and fights with the family over over the goose and everything like that. I have none of that. All I have are I just all love your Hallmark movies. All I have is Hallmark movies. Uh, the goose ran away. Uh, <laughs> right. What do they do? What's the and do on the Christmas morning? They fight over the goose. Is what they do. They fight over that no, goose. No, I'm, <laughs> I love Christmas unreservedly because I have no negative associations with it. Well, I mean, you know, this what? I mean, this is the birth of the Messiah. That I got, look, I got nothing. I got nothing against the birth of the, of, of the birth of Jesus. I just don't accept his divinity. But uh, his birth, I think, was you know what? Fine. You know what? You don't accept his divinity, just like the Muslims. Oh, no, the Muslims do, don't they? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. There's no God but God. No, there's no God but God, but they accept his, they accept him as a prophet. They accept him as a prophet, yeah. And, 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 and in well, Islam, Mary was born in Islam, in the Quran. Mary is born without original sin. So, and, uh, so but also, but also, yes. Jesus also shows up like Chuck Bronson at the end times. I mean, like when we finally take on ISIS at the beak. Um, Jesus is going to show up as a warrior for Islam, according to the Quran. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's that's right. He's one well, of those. Yeah, Jesus will show up at the end times for the Jews. Also, going. I'm sorry. I mean, I just I didn't have anything to do with this. <laughs> well, yeah. I, you know, it all happened after I was Jewish when I died. You know, this is all them. I think at this point, um, Jesus is fully Gentile. I think he'll say, well, welcome. Uh, you, it's marvelous. Come on right in. Yeah, I think he'll be welcoming because I think that's – So will he, will, will he uh, offer everybody a highball? I, I believe that we are um, – I believe this is like – oh, my God. I cannot believe we're actually having this conversation. I'm going to be in trouble. I, I do believe – I, I believe – yeah, exactly. With everyone. I believe we're all <laughs> saved. I think he's going to welcome us, all of us. Maybe, maybe I'm for that. If that's if that's if I didn't have to do anything and I get say I'm that's you know my general take the you know there's a whole line of thinking about this whole question of the relation between Jews and evangelicals and there are all these Jews who say Jew, Jews need to be suspicious of evangelicals because they all want to convert us and what happened blah 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 and there are two things about this number one so. Uh, well, if we if we discovered that we're wrong, um, you know, uh, when when the whole when the whole uh, thing is over, uh, we'll say we're wrong, and and you will probably have to say you're wrong too in in the reverse, and uh, and then maybe we can all just have a highball because uh, that's what's going to happen. I really do. I think it's we're all saved. We're all. I believe infinite mercy is what I believe. Uh, except for bad people who will and the Scientologists. You think the Scientologists are saved? Um, uh, you know, what are you, you going to do? I feel bad for them. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a tough world. You like start read, like putting everybody in the thing, and say, I, I don't know. I, 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 I like to think that I like to think that it's hard enough. Look, if you're that a you Scientologist, it, if you're a Scientologist and you're not David Miscavige or Tom Cruise, uh, you that's a hard gig. I'm sorry that that is not a your 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 expensive your gig. Tens of thousands of dollars a year, if not more, on these books, and and you get you get you have to get clear, and and you can get punished, and there's a, it's really, you know. So I think that people who who get into that uh, deserve uh, pity. Uh, the leadership deserves to go to jail, probably, but 
uh, the, 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 everybody else deserves a. You also, a, John, a, you also leave out that if you're a member of the Church of Scientology, you have to go see Battlefield Earth like 500 like times. Uh, <laughs> uh, those well, weird things coming out of John Travolta's nose. Um, <laughs> there, which, uh, okay, just can we, uh, for one minute though, there is yeah. something interesting about the toll it takes to be a Scientologist, right? It is it's expensive. You have to say you, you basically uh, have to cut ties with everybody who's not. You're constantly proselytizing. You uh, do not fit in in the current world because, you're, as far as you're concerned, everything about you know we're all doomed because of some um, past life uh, uh, lack of clarity. Yeah. Um, there, you know, they're, they're, these kind of cults are really attractive for people looking for direction, right? Looking for something to do, looking for some point from reason being um there's got to be something about that if you were like if you're if you're if you're a kid in um syria i mean maybe isis is just the the high, incredibly turbocharged extremely violent and uh, much more historically based because it has you know quranic texts that support its views um maybe it's just a, a really virulent nasty form of uh, scientology Wow. Merry Christmas, uh, fellas. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um now uh from the from the ridiculous from the ridiculous to the totally not not sublime where uh we uh, between uh the last podcast and this of course the uh the horror in San Bernardino unfolded with the you know discovery of of a of a semi homegrown uh semi apparently uh uh, designed or inspired, uh, foreign-inspired, ISIS-inspired terrorist attack that has um, remarkably, again, uh, upended, it appears, uh, the political discussion uh, in the United States in, in one fell swoop. And the question is, my question is, is this going to endure? Are we going, is, is, is terrorism and national security going to remain uh, the central one of the two central topics of the 2016 campaign, um, in which case, uh, as, it, as it never developed uh, in 2012, in which case, no matter what goes on with all the craziness in, in the Republican Party, um, a national security election or a terrorism election will benefit Republicans. I don't, you know, I don't care who the nominee is. Um, uh, even if you know Hillary wants to come out, you know, right. wearing a you know wearing an LL Bean uh, duck brace jacket and, and and toting around a you know an, uh, a shotgun. I like the I like the you act, you act as if that that's not going to happen in two <laughs> weeks anyway. Like, I mean, even if she does that, some kind of crazy thing to burnish her image, like she's gonna <laughs> she's gonna right. do it. She's gonna be shooting wildfowl in South Carolina. Well, I guarantee you. As we are recording this, uh, Hillary Clinton announced about an hour ago that she is going to introduce her 360-degree new plan for national security and the war on terror. And the best thing about this is that the 360-degree plan is her phrase for it. And the, the great <laughs> thing about that is that when you turn 360 degrees – you start out exactly where you began. <laughs> You're still facing the same way. Yeah. So are you saying are you saying that she is now going to reintroduce herself to the American people? So what would this be? 
reintroduction number five well, you in know. the year 2015. No, it's at People least seven. Busy. People are busy. Uh, I, I, yeah, but here's uh, – yeah, yes, except but that I'm, where, where this works, okay, where it works for Republicans or for – I think for Republic, – I'm, I'm just not even going to say it, but just Republicans who are particularly um, outspoken and hardline on immigration issues is that the terrorism issue in San Bernardino was less about terror – I mean in terms of its outrage, was less about jihad and more about immigration. Somehow those people got in. Somehow these people who were spreading uh, the message of jihad on their Twitter and Facebook got in. This is the same administration that t- that actually actively monitors all conservative right wing Twitter and Facebook <laughs> for you know sedition and doesn't bother to 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 do the same for people who are trying to kill us. So if you are a hard line on immigration, that. To, as of San Bernardino and before that, that also means your hard line on national defense and national security. That's a gift to people who are hard line in immigration. And that's going to be really hard for, for yeah. anyone to like argue that they're going to keep you safe if the danger is coming in through JFK or Dulles Airport. Ah, but this is a much more complicated issue than that, obviously, because we have half we have we have a couple, right? And we have one yeah. half. American born uh, American citizen. So we have a we have we have we have one of the three or four instances of homegrown terrorist in the United States. And then you have this question of where his wife, where where Farouk's wife, uh, Tafshin Malik, came, how they came to meet, and how she got in, and how the how the uh, how how she eluded uh, detection. <laughs> I know. Look, it's terrible to say, but you know that picture they show. Everybody see this picture of them, you know, coming, coming in on the, the airport. The airport. It's like those are terrorists. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's, what so, that's what they look like. They look like that. Yeah. See, the, the, but the, one of the great things about this, and I, I, I mean, no offense to John, who I believe you met your lovely and talented wife through J Date. Uh, actually, no, not through J Date, but we. I did meet. I asked my wife, and I met online because it, the, the 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 the. the the fantastic thing is that it's entirely possible that these guys met through a different kind of J-date, you know, jihad date, right? You know, or jihad or e-jihad instead of e-harmony. And the whole idea that you can now use the internet to find that special fellow terrorist <laughs> that, you know, you've been looking for really is kind of a game changer. But I actually want to go back to a point that Rob was making, you know, the – you can see the evolution of this. I mean, so Donald Trump breaks into the the zeitgeist in a big way with his whole Mexicans are rapists and they're sending rapists here, right? And it took a few days for people to notice that he'd actually said that and it be, for it to become a thing. And then for weeks or months, it's all about Mexicans coming here committing crimes. There was a terrible murder in San Francisco and that was where the zeitgeist was. That's where the conversation was. It was all about that. And then you have San Bernardino and instantly – we now don't talk about Mexicans coming here doing bad things, um, which I always thought was a grotesque exaggeration the way it was framed to begin with. But regardless, that's where the conversation was. And now it's all about Muslims coming in. And it's fascinating. If you, if you go look and read Breitbart, um, and we can all just sort of stipulate that it is heartbreaking that what has happened to Breitbart.com uh, since yeah. Andrew Breitbart passed away because there's no way Andrew would have permitted – some of the stuff that goes on over there to be happening now, um, and you, particularly if you read the you know the, the reporting quote unquote of Julia Hahn, 
It is now – it's not even about immigrants. It's about letting Muslims in. The new Ryan Rubio Zuckerberg plan would let unlimited numbers of Muslims into this country because because Trump said this thing about not letting any Muslims in. And, and in a way, the the immigration issue is is – sort of metastasizing or morphing to fit whatever the current state of national anxiety is. And so now that it's terrorism, terrorism is now an immigration issue. Whereas, you know, 20 minutes ago, it was a law and order issue. And before that, it was an economic issue. And it's, it's, it's really amazing to watch as all of the Republican candidates, either by rejecting it or accepting it, are still working around this, um, you know, that logic. I but, mean, but, but, but what we have wait, here, but terrorism. Yeah. I mean, terrorism is an immigration issue. I mean, that, that that is a depending on how you look at it. That's either. Um, uh, I think there's uh, an that, immigration that, component to terrorism, right? This well, is I mean, I mean, terrorism thing. in this country is, is it's hard. If you're if you are a citizen, it's hard not to think of it in terms of an immigration problem. That there are people coming into this country who are uh, outspoken um, jihadists and should not be allowed. Yeah, yeah, but okay, but this this is where I. I part company to some extent, which is this was a managerial, a colossal managerial failure on the part of the Homeland Security apparatus that we have laboriously constructed at colossal cost, right, over the last 14 years. So that we now discover that as as Rob, as you alluded to, that the Obama administration had had made a you know a secret private decision that it wasn't going to look people up on social media when they <laughs> sought visas, right? Because they didn't, so, so they didn't want to see if they were so, fine. So we 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 revolutionize intelligence gathering for the purposes of collecting metadata and connecting dots with phone calls outside the country, private communications between citizens, but. Things that have been published publicly on publicly available websites are not to be looked at. So I don't even know that this is an immigration issue. That is a homeland security policy catastrophe. But but oh, yes, but to right? Jonas' point, yes, that but to had, Jonas' had the homeland yeah. security, you know, had yeah. our entire homeland security apparatus functioned as we all thought it was supposedly functioning. You know that they were that they that someone was you know coming in from Pakistan and that you didn't just sort of like search Google for their name. <laughs> yeah, right there at the desk when you come in, it's long enough. Uh, but but it does suggest. I mean, I as mean, Jonas' my point, nephew, wait, wait, I was say, nephew yeah. has like when 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 my nephew, I hear my nephew has a girlfriend. I Google her name to see if I can see her picture on Facebook. Well, you know, I mean, creepy, but but okay, it's like when a friend is kind of creepy that you're searching your for your your nephew's girlfriend a little bit you know just i just thought of it because it happened yesterday i did it for my wife because <laughs> it happens it's, anyway it is the opposite of creepy it's just oh. natural curiosity right. and it's natural curiosity i mean that's what i'm saying like you're if you're right. a consular official in you know islamabad and somebody comes in wanting to get a wanting to get a visa she looks mean yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, let me just google i'll just google her name and see what comes up like, like it's but, not a big but to jonah's point there have a series. I mean, we have been in the uh, the season of freakouts, right? I mean, the apocalyptic freakout of um, of, immigra- of immigration from the southern border you know, over the summer. Uh, apocalyptic freakout over this, but Ebola. It, 
Ebola. In each case, though, in 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 in, in immigration, you know, southern immigration and also terrorism, there's one moment that's a watershed moment that seems to break through the lie, right? The polite lie we're all supposed to tell each other and ourselves and believe. The lie being um, uh, illegal immigration is really an economic issue. They come over here. It doesn't really matter. It's cheap labor. It's actually maybe even beneficial because it's cheap labor. Um, it's not really all that uh, – it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't have any other ramifications. And then in a sanctuary city, which we all kind of shrugged about – I mean some of us obviously. We didn't – not on this podcast but in general shrugged. Uh, there seems to be a, 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 not only just one specific crime, a, a, a poor woman who's murdered, um, but also a, a kind of a crime wave. Uh, and that forces us to sort of like wake up. And the same thing in San Bernardino, um, this kind of like, well, we don't want to be too – we don't want to be too rude or profile. But then, then the, the exact thing happens that people say was going to happen happens. And then we see the – I mean for me, it, the, you see the photograph of that in the passport office and you think, what, 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 who are they looking for if they're not looking for those people? You know, you're supposed to call. If you see something, say something. They always say on the subway. If you see a a bag, a shopping bag there, you're supposed to call somebody. If you see something, say something. But it's but but you're not supposed to say if you see someone say something. That if you see, you're not supposed to say anything. If some kid brings in. This yeah. absolutely elaborate device that looks exactly like a time bomb from MacGyver. Right. <laughs> you know? That's a no, but we know the next door neighbor of the of the of Mr. and Mrs. Farouk said that she did not call the cops because she did not want to be accused of profiling anybody. Mm-hmm. So right. we know that there was an incident. Now, what we don't know is if she called the cops, and this is where it gets interesting. She calls the cops and says, I don't know, something weird is going on in the apartment next door to me. It's a you know, Muslim couple. Uh, they, 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 they speak a foreign language. I don't know. They're making me uncomfortable. Would the cops actually go out and check? Maybe not. Maybe for the same reason that the uh, Department of Homeland Security, you know, officials doing you know, stuff in, in Pakistan didn't look up. No, the, but they, uh, would do, they would pull a John Padora. They, they would Google the neighbor. That's right. where the lie mm-hmm. comes in. In other words, we, we say to people, if you see something, say something. But it's not clear to me that in the age of Obama and among people for whom you know, this kind of political correctness is, is you know, next to gospel, that that is actually something that they believe. That is the lie. The lie is if you see something, say something. Yeah, don't. You right? see something, the lie is don't, don't, if you see, don't say anything because someone's then going to call you a racist. That's the problem. Well, you know, just, just to point out, you know, there are some things where people are saying what needs to be said. And, for example, there are a lot of people who are saying that now is the time to buy gold. Oh wow! <laughs> and I wanted to, you know, I, you know, it's an important point. And I want to say, you know, you know, want to ask, you know, do you know why big banks and billionaires are building huge stockpiles of gold and silver? You can find out now by calling Lear Capital at one eight 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 or one triple eight two zero three Gold for your free. That's free, as in no cost. Banks and billionaires report. 
See why big banks like JB, JP Morgan, HSBC, and Goldman Sachs are now buying physical gold and silver. And why billionaires like Carl Icahn, Stan Drunkenmiller, and David Einhorn are doing the same. What do they see coming? Find out and get prepared now. The Banks and Billionaires Report is free with no obligation. So call one 4653 That's one 4653 one gold now listen. I like that, guys. That was. I like so to listen. Good. But before we get get going, we we do want to uh, thank Lear Capital for sponsoring the Glob Culture Podcast. The report is actually is is, is interesting. Uh, gold is a universal store of value. Has lasted longer than any current. I'm not. I'm not going to give you my whole gold bug you know, routine now. But for the very reason that we do not trust bureaucrats in Washington to keep us safe or to run immigration, I don't know why we trust them to somehow manage a currency. That's all I'm saying. Well, no, I, and we should also just note for those of you taking a little back, since I've been making buy gold jokes for a long time now. Um, and I actually think that there is a lot of merit to buying gold. But what there's even more merit to, by my lights, is for as many podcasts, as many Glop listeners as possible to call and get this report. That's true. Call that, again, if you want Glop and you want more Glop, which is a possibility in 2016, you will actually call and ask for this report. As it will, it has – there is a connection between the number of people who call and ask for the report and the possibility of more than one monthly glop podcast. I can't. You're not obliged to buy the gold, although it's you a buy, free by all report. means you should if it's right for you. It's a but, free report. It's free. But if, if you get the report, then that redounds immediately to the benefit of glop and glop listeners. So because please. like the gold market, the calling in for the report market is a market indicator that cannot be manipulated by the Federal Reserve Bank or the European Central Bank or any of the funny little bankers trying to like mess with the currency and the value of a dollar. Um, uh, that's why gold is a universal store of value. And I'll just say one last thing on this point. This is the Goldberg Long Podoritz podcast. The first word in the <laughs> is gold. Perfect. Gold, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, John. <laughs> Um, All right, my work is done. You now, <laughs> I, um, I, I do. I would like to say, actually, as 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 the year uh, comes to a close, that um, uh, I am uh, blown away by uh, the the number of people who not only listen to this podcast but who. Stop me on the street in New York City to say that they're listeners to, that that send me emails or, or or tweet at me asking when the next podcast is. Um, that that's been a real change this year from from last. That kind of, there's been a kind of steady um, increase in uh, what I would describe as uh, you, your listeners, and your involvement and interest in the podcast. I find it very heartening and gladdening, yeah. and I'm very flattered by it. And I'm you know, we just we just sit around. Sometimes we do this not on the air and with each other in lunch, and sit around and just sort of have a conversation. Um, and it's 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 very flattering to know that people find that of interest to listen in on. So my theory is just to go bring it back to the culture for a minute. Is that there's this cultural moment 
maybe because we all have Facebook and Twitter and all sorts of things, we're having all these exchanges that people are more interested in listening to an exchange, an actual genuine conversation than they are maybe, uh, you know, in the past they, they, they haven't minded plugging themselves into the radio and listening to a talk radio host talk for three hours or heard somebody uh, doing, giving a monologue direct to camera. Um, there is something about uh, – Hearing a conversation unfold, it being more casual, and then kind of feeling like you're you're part of that conversation, I think is more. I mean, at least for me and the, my choices of things that I listen to, it's more palatable. And I think maybe that's just the way we're you know we're, exper- we're experiencing media in other forms. So, just to bring it back to culture. Well, you know, speaking of radio and radio talk show hosts, and um, and you know how uh, these podcasts and uh, and other uh, the Ricochet podcasts and 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 others. Uh, represent a kind of evolution um, in the form of of, of, of listening to talk, a, a kind of democratization of talk, or a uh, you know an egalitarianization of talk, something like that. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I have a friend uh, named Roger Bennett um, who uh, publishes funny books, and he he worked uh, for a, uh, for a for a foundation. And five years ago, six years ago, he and a friend of his started doing a podcast on soccer called Men and Blazers. And they – He's an English guy, we should say. He's an English guy. He's from Liverpool. But he, you know, he's an American. He's an immigrant. Um, so that's OK with you guys. Um, no, not really. But- uh, apparently not. But, um, and, uh, and, and he and, and, and his friend started doing this podcast. And they basically have become the leading commentators on soccer in the United States growing out of this very um, eccentric, funny podcast in which they would pick a Philip Larkin poem of the week <laughs> to analyze. And and half the time you can't, they're, they're, they both speak with heavy accents and it's hard to understand what they're saying. And they're funny and they're original and uh, NBC Sports Cable Network gave them a show on TV, which is on Monday nights. And all of this grew out of uh, a, a strictly a, in in the literal sense an amateur production, you know, right. amateur in the sense that uh, the word amateur comes from meaning something you do because you love it, not because you're looking to make but, money. But I think that's like the way the way you think. I mean, there, there's more handmade um, media now, more handmade content, more rough around the edges, even professional productions and film and television. Um, the the amount of time people used to spend. Uh, on picture and sound in a movie, um, they're just not spending that much time anymore um, because they want to get it made. They want to get it out there, and 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 there are there's product now you can see that's as good as anything coming out of it. You know, a bunch of professionals doing, and that's sort of gratifying. I mean, that that is the pod. But also, I believe that the the the, the, the podcast sort of a resurgence in this country or, or upswing in this country has a lot to do with the fact that first of all, it's baked into the OS of of the iPhone, the most uh, you know widely used uh, smartphone in the world, um, but also that it is uh, it is you could time shift it. You listen to it when you want to listen to it. Um, people commute at different times now, but but also I, I think just generally that there, there, there's this hunger for a new name that the, the, the names and the voices and the faces on television have not been seriously refreshed in a long, long time, and. Um, that's and that, that, is the way, that is particularly true <laughs> in the world of conservative talk, which which yeah. is one of the things that I wanted to bring up. So, of course, I think a lot of us have have, have viewed with a certain amount of um, alarm and confusion this headlong rush of 
that was actually not a, an intentional uh, pun, <laughs> except uh, unconsciously. But this, you know, headlong sort of leap into the arms of, um, of, of Trump by, by people who have been claiming on the radio for the last five years to be the holders of the light of conservative thinking, ideology, and practice um, against all, uh, all those who would dilute and poison the conservative well. Um, and it's been very striking to watch this and to and you know to the to the extent that it makes you think that there is a story behind the story. I don't really know what the story behind the story is. I don't mean that you know Trump is Trump is paying off these multimillionaire radio talk show hosts to support them, but that but that they're looking they looked at him and they thought that it, there was something yeah, there maybe. was something threatening in opposing him. Or or just that they you know they were they're tired of being yeah, look. If you if you talk to anybody, um, I mean, I hate to use it, anybody in D.C. You know, at the at the Georgetown cocktail parties that people like Goldberg go to all the time. Um, mm. <laughs> um, I, don't know, I don't think anybody even lives in Georgetown anymore. That's oh yeah, you guys are going to Georgetown cocktail parties. Um, yeah, I was being naive. <laughs> there's this. Um, there's a little bit of kind of this eye-rolling disdain for uh, conservative talk radio. And, and I think conservative talk radio, especially the superstars of it, know it. And then along comes this guy who's blowing up the, the temple and it just seems kind of cool. Um, although recently Rush, I think yesterday, basically Rush was saying that he was some, you know, profoundly yeah. upset and disturbed by – what uh, Trump said about Cruz. So anyway, oh, sorry, Joe, I, I, think there are a couple th- I, I mean, I, I think there are a few things going on, right? I think one is that Trump actually speaks for good or for ill. I mean, I, I'm, you know, this is not an anti-Trump point. It is, I think, just an analytical point. Trump speaks for the core listenership of a lot of talk radio. That he speaks the way a lot of the core, core leadership. Uh, listenership of talk radio talks. I'm not saying, saying that there aren't, you know, there are a lot of people who are a lot smarter and more sophisticated than Donald Trump who listen to talk radio. I listen to a lot of talk radio. But if you're going to find a commonality to it, it's this sort of stop with the PC, stop with the BS, let's talk bluntly. And, um, you know, there's sort of this divide, this, this divide at Fox News, um, which I can, you know, attest to firsthand is that there's the pro Trump. Wing and the anti-Trump wing, and the, and these two wings don't necessarily fall entirely upon, around the personality of Donald Trump. Some of it simply has to do with two different theories about what this country is about and what conservatism is about. And there is a populist side, and there is a sort of conservative movement side. And I think one of the most interesting things, which John is pointing to, is that a lot of the talk radio guys who have been claiming and not always you know, necessarily incorrectly, that they are the grand champions of the conservative movement, have, for the most part, with Trump, jumped to the populist wing of these things. And so now it's sort of like, because Trump is this expression of the frustration of the populist, of, of the populace, right, the demos and demagoguery, demagoguery um, that he's the guy that you have to be behind. And um, I think one of the things that's that's really sort of fascinating is this, and we're, we're we're recording this the afternoon before the debate, is this growing tension between Cruz and um, and uh, Trump, and I think that 
Well, I agree with John. I think there's there's no reason to believe that anyone has been paid off. There's no cooey bono in terms of gold, which is a great storehouse of value, um, changing hands. There is um, – I, I, I do have this suspicion that, that, that Rush and Mark Levin and some of these other guys have always sort of seen Trump as a stalking horse for Cruz in much the same way that Cruz has now sort of been honest about this is that he yeah. sees – you know, that Trump is sort of a blocking tackle for him. And so, I mean, I've been planning on writing about this. There is this moment that is sort of happening right now that for all the problems with the analogy still kind of reminds me of the American left on the eve of the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. Whoa, 1939, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Everyone's screaming about how the fascists are evil, they're terrible, we must stand a united front against fascism, and then all of a sudden Hitler and Stalin cut this deal, (laughs) and all of a sudden Hitler's a man of peace. You know, we must we must align against the capitalist West and all that. (laughs) All of a sudden, because Trump is attacking Cruz on the most idiotic grounds. I mean you know, whatever you think about Ted Cruz, for Trump to go out there and attack his temperament, you know, and for, to say that he can't, he, he's, yeah, he's, he's a little bit of a maniac. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a maniac. It's so, it's so bizarre. It's like it's, Trump criticizing Cruz's hair. I mean, it is the most egregious example of not calling the kettle black in American politics. And well, it's Freudian. It's Freudian yeah, right there. And it's sort of fascinating. And so I thought it was very telling that, that Limbaugh, who has not been wildly pro-Trump, he has been anti-anti-Trump. And I think that is the other missing agreement, ingredient here, is that a lot of people who love Trump really just love him because he makes people like us angry and pisses us off. And there's, this, there's been this mood on the right now for the last five years that says that anything the quote-unquote establishment does – Anything the media elites do, anything the Republican, you know, beltway set says is wrong and anything that pisses them off must be right. And you saw the sort of the crystallization of that argument and I think it was probably one of Russia's worst moments was when uh, um, people criticize when – re- when Republicans criticize Trump for his ban on Muslim stuff and Rush allegedly said that – well, don't these people realize that Hamas has condemned Trump too? Are they, you know, and sort of made it sound as like we're all on the same side as Hamas and all of this? I mean, that logic is sort of nuts. And the fact that he's now going after Trump has caused a lot of these people, I mean, not going after Cruz, is causing people to pull back and say, hey, wait a second, we actually really did want the guy we thought was the true conservative. And now that Trump is no longer a blocking tackle and a threat to Cruz, they're pulling back from a lot of that. And I think, you know, I mean, I disagree with their tactics, but that's at least welcome. Right. But, you know, this is part of the comedy of this, which is I don't know when it when it came to be the case that you, Jonah, or I'm not going to speak for Rob, who, as we know, is a notorious rhino, but how, how you and I ended up being voices of the establishment. I don't I don't know the establishment, the Republican establishment, as I understood it and have understood it in the 30 years, the 32, 33 years that I've been sort of like involved in conservative (laughs) thinking and writing and editing and all of that (laughs) (laughs) was not us. You know, we weren't the Republican. The Republican establishment were, were, you know, uh, corporatist uh, country clubbers, Bush, elder Bush supporters, uh, 
Bob Michael, who was the minority, uh, yeah, the, the, right. the, the, the head of the Republican minority for 20 years in the House, um, uh, and then was, you know, overthrown, uh, just in time for Gingrich to come in and, and, and make the revolution. And Bob Dole, you know, who Grover Norquist famously called the tax collector for the welfare state. Um, that's who the Republican establishment was, not, you know, sort of the and people, I miss people them. Like, and you miss them. And I know I miss them. I miss them, them. But, but you know, we we were the people on the outside trying to keep the right honest about you know what its principles were and yeah. what its goals should be. Well, and congratulations. That, no, but I'm just saying <laughs> that now now there is this kind of general broad brush that if you are not if you do not uh, ascribe uh, to the notion that what is necessary is for everything to burn down and for you know all of the traditions of American politics to be destroyed and upended all at once in a kind of you know right. Madame Defarge blaze yeah. that you are then you are a defender and protector of the establishment and that's crazy because you can oppose Trump on the grounds that what he is going to do is destroy conservatism. That's, well, that's yeah, always, no, I'm, I'm yeah. way to Trump's right. And I make this point all the time on Twitter that the, the, the establishment, the conservative establishment, as they, I keep hearing, right, which is often sort of reduced to a handful of talking heads on Fox, which I'm lumped into, um, uh, <coughs> is more conservative than at any time in modern political history. The Republican establishment you know, if, if if Bill Crystal is the and Karl Rove are the face of the Republican establishment, um, then the Republican establishment is more conservative, more right wing than in any other previous decade. And whenever I say that, the most common response I get back is not on immigration. And and I think that's revealing for two things. First of all, I don't know that that's true. That the you know, but I mean that the conservative establishment today is softer on immigration than it was 25 years ago. I'm I'm open to persuasion one way or the other on it. But the other thing that's interesting about it is that it reveals the extent to which, going back to Rob's earlier point, everything is seen through the prism of immigration. That immigration is the only touchstone issue that but, that matters to a lot of these guys. But I think it's because it, it's a watershed issue. First of all, I, I do believe that immigration is important, and that I do too. Um, and that, I'm not dismissed. Yeah, no, no. I, I just think as, on on the face of it, as a, as an, as a as a, a a piece of policy, it's important, and we have let it slide. But I think it represents for people this sort of notion that um, the Republican establishment in D.C. not only not only is uh, is is blind to the tr- to the problem of of unfettered illegal uh, immigration, but is actively a in opposition to the rank and file, and, I agree with that. and pursues policies that are the literally the opposite. They're not um, uh, uh, compromises with a powerful other uh, party. It's not like, well, we're going to get some workfare rules in there. We're going to do some of this. Some, none of it rep- represents uh, a, a, a good faith attempt to try to contend with the, the 50 percent of the country that but, opposes us. It seems to be a complete capitulation plus a lie. And I think that um, that the lead, Republican leaders um, completely misread that. I just want to make a quick – which is that I have always thought that immigration was a 
uh, a stand-in issue for the uh, surrender of the centrality of the uh, American idea. That is to say, um, uh, and that, that's what a lot of us were fighting for for 25, 30 years, the notion that schools don't teach civics, that people don't know the Constitution, that we, that we, that we haven't, you know, that in, you know, English should be English, taught, right, English should right, be the... Right. The, the national language so that we have a we have a national unifying glue that right. that um, that that immigrants need to be taught American values American principles and that we should all be taught these things and that it is the surrender on on these fronts that is the real issue that that this culture war uh, in which we in which America the you know the sort of the right. the pandrums of American Culture have essentially become either post-American or anti-American, and and I still think that that is the more important fight to be waged. Uh, okay, but because, but here's but, but here's that, the, there's, there's a response to that, right? I mean, the, yeah. the immigration, the, the the sort of the Mickey Cows. Well, Mickey Cows probably not the best example of this, but conservatives, you know, a National Review, for example, would counter that, you know, unless you get a hold of immigration, you all you're all you're doing is adding. More boots on the ground, as it were, for the other side of the art, right. for the other side of that cause, because you're at you're you're importing Democratic voters, you're importing new uh, constituencies, you're making existing constituencies larger right, but that, but that are much more interested well, in the identity true. politics stuff. But I, I think, think Jonas is absolutely right. Wait, let me, right. Yeah, Jonas is absolutely right, and I kind of feel like that's what's so crazy about it because we, I mean, I start from the premise that a Republican presidential nominee, Donald Trump will lose an, an historic landslide. Um, the people who support him believe that he will win in a landslide. I'm right and they're wrong. So I believe that the reason we don't have that guy there is because we'll lose in a landslide and usher in uh, you know, another 25 years, we like Goldwater, another 25 years of liberal um, um, power politics. Uh, they want him to build a wall to keep out Essentially, a new wave of Democratic voters who will usher in 25 years worth of power politics. Uh, so we, we kind of all want the same thing, right? right? It's just that they're convinced that that this guy or a tough or super tough immigration guy is going to win, and I don't think he's going to win. And that's right. that's ultimately the premise. And I but, think that but, goes but back but to I, my original point, which was that wait, which is that which I think is the culture today is that we can you can believe. That you are part of a powerful movement and you are making headway and you are changing the policy direction of the American people and their beliefs, their opinions, and that you are leading an army of believers if you have 400 Twitter followers. <laughs> and that well, is what's crackpot about our culture today. And so I think that the crackpot culture needs to be confronted yes. and overthrown. And there is one of the many ways to do this, of course, is through the advancement of an educated citizenry, including an adult citizenry. And we have a sponsor who Perfect. Uh, wishes to do that. That is the great courses. So, you know, for many of us, and it should be all of us, our love of learning doesn't stop after we finish school. And that's why we are big fans of the great courses and the kind of things that you read and study and learn in the great courses, engaging audio and video lectures from top professors and experts in their fields. We recommend that you watch the great courses collection of lecture series geared toward professionals, including scientific secrets for a powerful memory, how conversation works, the art of public speaking, influence, mastering life's most powerful skill. These are courses 
using insights from the great thinkers of the West that offer valuable tools and insights to help strengthen presentation skills, become a better negotiator, sharpen our memory. Um, it's the 25th anniversary of the Great Courses lecture series and over 500 subjects, including history, science, art, music, and more. If you want to know why there are difficulties in having a guy like Trump uh, be your, uh, you know, be your, be the man with the flag in front of the parade. Um, you know, you need to know things, um, insights from history and philosophy that will that will show you uh, why these things, why other countries, other places have gone through these experiments um, and have had terrible experiences with them. Available in DVDs, CDs, streaming, digital downloads, or with the Great Courses apps. For a limited time, The Great Courses has a special offer for Glob Culture listeners. Order any of these four business and presentation courses for just $9.95. That special price only available for a limited time. Order today. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash glop. That's thegreatcourses.com slash glop. And our thanks to The Great Courses for sponsoring the Glob Culture podcast. Um, now, uh, we, we, we stand here as we speak. Uh, as jo- Jonah mentioned, um, on the on the verge of all sorts of things that are about to happen that yeah. we can't speak about, right? So there's the last Republican debate of 2015 going to go on in a couple of hours. And, of course, even more important and central to the culture and the future of Western civilization, the opening on Friday of Star Wars Part 7, um, which uh, I, I am embarrassed to say I have in my wallet and I've had – now for a month, tickets to the 1.45 a.m. show on Friday morning at my uh, local multiplex uh, to see uh, Star Wars uh, 7. And I hope I can uh, stay up that late because I'm not that – I'm not a night owl the way I used to be. Um, take, a, take a disco nap. Are you exa- – okay. So my uh, my question to you guys is are you anticipating – uh, excitement, extreme disappointment. Um, I am guessing, as it is a J.J. Abrams film, that I'm going to think for the first half hour that it's great and then it's going to start falling to pieces, but I, I just don't know. Jonah, what's where do you where do you fall? I'm expecting lens flares. So many <laughs> lens flares. There will be lens um, flares. Um, I think it's going to be very good. I do. Um, and I think it was a brilliant plot a uh, brilliant artifice by George Lucas to make three horribly crappy movies <laughs> in a row to lower expectations. Yes. Well, they couldn't be any lower. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think it's, I think it's uh, kind of fascinating and amazing that if this movie doesn't break all box office records and do better than any film in the history of humanity, it will have seen be seen as missing the mark, and yet no one seems to be arguing that those expectations are too high, and um, and right. I think that's that's sort of awesome. Um, but I, don't know, I think it's going to be pretty good. I think it's. Um, I mean, I'm worried about Harrison Ford, you know, constantly looking, you know, breaking the sight lines and looking off camera to find his bag of Cheetos. But um, I think it's going to be good. I uh, agree. I think it's going to be good. What I what I like about it, though, is the is is exactly what jo, uh, what Joan was referring to. George Lucas made three really good movies. One spectacular movie, the first one, Star Wars. Um, 
And then Empire Strikes Back was very, very good. And Return of the Jedi, I really, really enjoyed. I mean, I was all in, right? These movies came out when I was 11, and um, I've been interested in them ever since. And then he makes three terrible pictures, one after another. They're all terrible. They're terrible, terrible, terrible movies. And it should, in fact, have destroyed it. By all rights, it should destroy it. Except that then he found someone who we all sort of have a certain amount of confidence in, J.J. Uh, Abrams, to turn this thing around and make them really exciting again. And um, and what's amazing is that I, I, just just the excitement and the craziness for that, the fact that it is a one forty five a.m. showing shows you how willing people are to believe that it does matter who's in charge. That it actually that that actually does matter. That it matters who's 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 making this movie, and I kind of like that. That's kind of interesting. Well, but Rob, I mean, do you, are you honestly saying that if I don't know Spike Lee had been picked to direct this, that there wouldn't be people going at the one forty five? No, I, you know, I, 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 I totally I totally think that. That's yes. I think that 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 after three terrible pictures, it, it was over. It was dead. And he found somebody who could inject it with enough enthusiasm and has a fan base of people who are sort of Star Wars aligned who believe, OK, I want to see what he's going to do with this because I still want it to be great. I want it to be great. Um, he uh, – J.J. Abrams is going to make Star Wars great again. It should, you know what I want? it should be said that Lucas did not find J.J. Abrams, that Disney – Paid well, that's what Lucas okay. yeah, right. four billion dollars to go away. Yes. That all, is all the actual story. All that is true. But, but he bought Star Wars. You, you replaced JJ Abrams, so that, that's so that true. He would go away and have nothing whatsoever to do with Star Wars ever again. But if you replace JJ Abrams with almost any other director, mm-hmm. it's not. It doesn't have the magic. Well, maybe I don't know. I mean, I I I, I said what I said advisedly, which is I think. In almost every case with the work of J.J. Abrams, that is to say his first big movie, which was the third Mission Impossible movie, and then with the first uh, Star Trek reboot, and then with his own movie Super 8, and the, and, and some of his TV series, that, that, that he, sets, he sets things up magnificently, and then they piddle okay. away. That's fine. All that's true. All, that, all that's true. But just, but just imagine, just just uh, you know, uh, uh, Star Wars episode. What is it? Seven. Yeah. Um, directed by Michael Bay. Right. Well, that, <laughs> fair enough. Now, here is the thing that I think is key, and I he he or Lawrence Kasdan, who was the screenwriter of Raiders of the Lost Ark and made uh, Body Heat and The Big Chill and helped write. Empire Strikes Back and some other thing. Anyway, he Kasdan and he, I think, are credited as the screenwriter. He and J.J. Abrams are credited as the screenwriters. And Kasdan said something that I think gives one optimism, which is that he said that one thing that he and Abrams agreed was that the movie should be delightful. Now, the reason I think that that is an important word <laughs> is that people forget... And, I, I mean, I was yeah. you know, uh, 16 years old when Star Wars opened... And what people forget about Star Wars, the original Star Wars, is that it is an action comedy. Yeah, right. It is not a I got a bad feeling about Freudian this. drama about fathers and sons and this and slavery and all of that. It is a it was a flyboy movie based on a, a fantastic 1930s Howard Hawks movie called Only Angels Have Wings about pilots and you know brush pilots. Right. And it's funny. 
and it's lively and you know and what you know when when, when about it was that it was funny it was funny she, right Edel comes at princess leia the cantina scene was funny the first time you see the millennium falcon is funny han solo is funny you know the, uh, r2d2 getting shot by the by the the land raiders and the sands it was a funny lively C-3PO was a comic character. Exactly. And but, so, I, but, 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 but you know, when, he, when he – missing from the three. Yeah. And, but when he made it, when he made it uh, and, and he cut together the rough cut, the, 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 the story always goes that when he put it together, it wasn't a, quite a rough cut. It was, it was, but it was an almost finished assembly without any of the Star Wars, uh, any of the special effects and out any of the gun noises or any of that stuff. It was just basically the, the, the flat picture and he cut into it, to, especially in the last scene and all the dogfights in, in space. He just cut in um, only angels have wings and a couple other um, World War One, um, you know, flying ace movies. Just to say, okay, this is going to be a dogfight. And right. he showed it to a bunch of his friens who were directors. Um, and his friends happened to be Phil Kaufman and Martin Scorsese and uh, um, Steve Coppola. Spielberg and Francis Coppola. And um, they showed it to them and said, what do you think? And um, they all said uh, – almost all of them said, this is disaster. You can't – this is this is terrible, uh, except for Spielberg who said, are you guys kidding me? This movie is going to make $100 million, mm-hmm. which at 1977 was a – 76 was a bold prediction and he was right. There was something about that movie. I, mean, I remember the, how, how it felt to see that movie mm-hmm. um, and I remember – I mean to me – the movie that really did that to me was Raiders, but but I do remember feeling like, oh my god, this is the most fun I've had yeah, in right. my life. Right, and you know, also you have to think about it in the context of movies of the 1970s. It's now become a kind of um, something kind of a, a thing that people say uh, about how you know movies after. Star Wars and Jaws and, uh, you know, the big movies of the 70s that turned, you know, every, now movies are only for teenagers and all of that stuff. But, you know, the thing about movies of the 1970s was that they were grim, they were dark, they were, they were, they offered a kind of, uh, yeah. a, a, a very uh, unhappy sense of the world and where it was going. And Star Wars came along and it was a peppy, bright, yeah. optimistic, Big, brash thing with a, it was a wonderfully picture. happy ending. Yeah. So it's funny. And yesterday, it changed, and it changed every. It changed yeah. the mood because people made downbeat movies in part because that's what they thought you were supposed to do. You know. Uh, oh, so, was, sorry, Jonah, yeah. What were you saying? I, I was listening to uh, some NPR show yesterday, and um, they went back in the archives and they got the first review of the movie. They played the, the Susan Stamberg conversation with Tom Shales, who was the NPR movie critic at the time, about Star Wars. And it was really kind of fascinating because, like, Stamberg had, really didn't know anything about it. And just even the way she would say, there's a new movie out called Star Wars. And, like, the, the, today, you know, Star Wars, <laughs> you, hear the, you hear the – it's like almost one word in the way you hear it. But back then – she said it as if these were two strange words to be juxtaposed next to each other, right? I mean, it was like it was such a new thing, and she's asking about it, and and Shales, who I have a lot of problems with, but it was actually could be a pretty good critic. He was saying, "Oh, this is a fantastic movie," and he had this great line where he said, "I think every kid should take their parents to see this movie," <laughs> oh, that's and. Cool. Um, 
and it was but it was funny it was Sandberg was trying to understand you know what it was about and, and Shales in jackass form revealed that the Death Star is blown up at the end of the movie I mean total oh, spoiler um, but uh, he but the she was trying to understand what the the movie was about and what kind of movie it was and her frames of reference for sci-fi were all like movies like 2001 a space odyssey which is the grimmest slowest right blockbuster sci-fi movie right. I mean, it's like you know and 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 it was just so, and that was her frame of that and so he was trying to say it's sort of like Buck Rogers meets 2001 in terms of it was it was a Buck Rogers story right with 2001 special effects because at that point in 77 I guess 2001 was still remembered as amazing special effects um, and it was just it was, I don't know, it was just a really interesting conversation to listen to him talk about it right Star Wars Star Wars yeah. but it's true you know you think about yeah. the previous science fiction movies of the 1970s you know what oh, they were cool. there was Logan's Run which was about people dying at the age of 30 there was Soylent Green which was about how people were people eating, eating were, people. Were, were, yeah, were, yeah, were eating each other yeah um, people don't do people don't do great in those movies yeah. Yeah. do you remember the, remember the great Saturday Night Live uh, or Planet of the, the Apes yeah. uh, remember the great Saturday Night Live spoof about the sequel to uh, Soylent Green <laughs> where they have what's his name uh, what, who's the guy who was shot by his wife wonderful guy uh, actor from Santa Ana uh, Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman playing, you know, Charlton Heston. And he comes down and he goes, Soylent Green is still people! <laughs> <laughs> um, can we pause here for a moment? Yes. Because I would like to say something. Some of the best conversations happen through email. And you know the kind of email. A friend or colleague reaches out to share a few thoughts. You write back with a few of your own. Before you know it, you've secured a loyal fan, a friend, a customer, maybe even some new ideas to share. But then very quickly, 10 emails become 100 and 500. And it wasn't, isn't long before we have thousands of messages and no time to sift out the conversations worth having. That certainly describes my inbox. Does this sound like your inbox? If so, this is the cure. SaneBox does the sifting for you. It diverts the trivial stuff into a separate folder so that all that's left are the emails that matter. With features like one-click unsubscribe and the ability to snooze non-urgent emails, you'll save countless hours and increase your email productivity by 25%. That, by the way, is a low number. I have had this thing for two years or almost three years. It's fantastic. It's much better than 25 hundred because you can move emails to this thing called Sane Black Hole. It's like the se- separate email box in your, um, file in your email thing and you, it disappears it forever. You'll never have to see another email from that person again. That's why you that, never return my emails. Uh, 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 <laughs> no, that's not why. Um, and that's – which means that there's more time you can spend engaging your audience. Try it yourself with two free weeks of SaneBox. Visit SaneBox.com slash Ricochet to start your trial. No credit card needed after that. Ricochet listeners get $25 off a of membership. Uh, that's the deepest discount you'll find anywhere. Again, it's SaneBox, S-A-N-E-B-O-X slash Ricochet. Our thanks to SaneBox for sponsoring the Glop Culture podcast. Um, they came to us on the Ricochet flagship podcast. They actually came to us and asked to, to sponsor it, and um, which is total coincidence because I was like – I was a huge – I mean I, I was a, I'm a total disciple of this product. So um, they are – it's a good company and we're very, very – I am particularly pleased to have them as a sponsor of Glop. Uh, which reminds me, oh, here's what I didn't say at the top of this damn thing. Um, I, I can't believe I keep forgetting that. I, this is so stupid. I'm a terrible businessman. 
If you are listening to the Glob Culture Podcast and you like it, it comes from Ricochet, ricochet.com. Go to Ricochet. We've got a bunch more podcasts for you to subscribe to. It's the fastest growing, most civil conversation on the web. If you are, uh, if you read uh, uh, websites and you go to the comments section, you realize what a swampy, nasty mess it is there. We don't have a comment section. We have a conversation. And in that conversation, uh, we keep it clean and nice and upscale and very civil and um, you would be – we'd be proud to have you as a member and joining in the conversation with us. So please go to ricochet.com, sign up. You get uh, two free months if you just sign up and you can just check us out and see how it is. Uh, I know that you will want to stay. We are striking a blow for civil conversation on the web. We're the only ones doing it um, and we're kind of proud of that. So anyway. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, as we, as we, uh, uh, as we, uh, start thinking about how we're reaching the end of the year and, uh, if, um, if there are, uh, any, um, cultural high points of 2015, uh, books, movies, television, music, um, that, uh, that anybody, uh, wants to commend or recommend or praise, um, I will. I will say one thing. Uh, much to my surprise and amazement, um, I watched the uh, Netflix Bill Murray Christmas special, the very <laughs> peculiar Bill Murray Christmas special, a very Murray Christmas, which posits that he is trapped in the Carla Hotel in New York uh, in a giant snowstorm, and none of the celebrities that he was hoping would come and perform on this on the live uh, Christmas night television broadcast can make it and he's very depressed and an impromptu show uh, is created uh, by people in, in the hotel and, and, and himself. And I, it's on Netflix and I thought that it was absolutely wonderful. And I did not expect to because it was directed and conceived by Sofia Coppola who made Lost in Translation with Murray, who, whose, whose movies I do not like and, and have not been impressed by. And, um, uh, it's a very odd, it's got an odd melancholy tone to it. Um, there are some really amazingly good and interesting and unknown, little known songs that, that, that are, are performed in it. And, um, I, I really do recommend it as long as you understand that it, it, it's an unusual, semi-parodic, semi-serious, semi-touching, semi-parody of 1970s Christmas specials, but also, a thing in itself, and and I, I was I was really quite taken with it. Hmm. Well, huh. does he sing? I mean, I, I was going to say sings, Star Wars. Sings. He does not sing. He sing the movie. The the show. The thing starts with him singing a song called Christmas Blues, which I'd never heard of, uh, written by uh, the lyricist uh, Sammy Kahn and 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 the, wow. uh, the composer Johnny Burke. That is absolutely a fantastic song, and he does a brilliant rendition of so well i, well, I was going to ask yeah. since i wanted to bring this up during the conversation about star wars i was going to ask does he sing star wars no he does right. not sing star wars he He's is just not one of the greatest yeah. lounge acts of all time that is he, yeah right yeah he is not nick the lounge singer in this and he He's, it's it's a it's a very unusual guy. thing um cuz he's he's not playing himself he's playing a version of himself um, and I just thought it was, uh, it's, it, anyway, it's well worth, it's well worth it. All right. Good to know. All right. Um, I'm, I'm still, um, loving, uh, well, I mean, I mean, if you're talking about rounding up the year in culture, I've got to say, I really enjoyed at least the first half of, um, 
speaking of Netflix, uh, of uh, the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I thought was funny and incredibly crazy and made me laugh out loud many, 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 many times. Um, so I'm a huge fan of that. There, there are two uh, fantastic performances yeah, on the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> Ellie Kemper, who plays Kimmy She's Schmidt, great. was doing something very complicated, yeah, yeah. you know, because it's an, it's an extremely strange premise for a show. She's but essentially... But she's throwing... The, the, the premise right. is she was been, she's been she's kidnapped and held under, in an underground bunker by a crazy man with three other women, and she was basically... Uh, you yeah, know, she's one of the Castro, yeah. one of the three... Those, those, essentially, those, the, yeah. cast, the girls who were kept in the, in the dungeon right. by, by, by Ariel Castro in right. Cleveland. I mean, and she, she gets out, and she's... Uh, uh, and she somehow manages to have this sort of plucky, incredibly can-do, upbeat spirit. And she's going to, you know, she's been in a in a bunker for most of her life, and she's going to take on New York City. It's in fact a classic premise, except for the being in the bunker part. But the person coming from the sticks into New York City yeah. and being naive and and still succeeding and changing the lives of the rich people she works for and having a band of sort of you know scrappy under underdogs that she she, she lives with. It's absolutely classic. She does a great job. And the other one. Uh, the other guy does a great job is his name. I keep forgetting. Titus Burgess. Titus Burgess. It's just fantastic. And it's yeah. absolutely worth seeing. Um, uh, uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So I would I recommend that. And um, uh, let me think about a movie because I would like to recommend a movie. Uh, you know, I uh, let me recommend – let me think about a movie. I don't know. I don't know if I've seen a movie I really liked. Well, Joan, have right, you seen so, a movie you like, really liked? You know, it's funny. In, in During you know the three, four hours of prep time I do for this podcast this afternoon um, – uh, by which I mean the 90 seconds before the podcast, I Googled best movies of 2015 just to see what the list were to be reminded of what yeah. I may have seen. And I hadn't seen, I don't know, eight out of 10 of them. And I hadn't heard of three or four of them. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's sort of sad because I, I still have my movie going life. You know, I, I don't professionally review movies the way John does and he sees everything. It's, I'm basically dictated to by, by my daughter. One of the movies on the list was Inside Out, which I did think was a phenomenal movie for a 12-year-old girl. I'm not sure it's great for everybody else. Um, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I, I wouldn't be on my list had I not seen it with my daughter, who's a 12-year-old girl. Um, I mentioned it before around here. Um, I really thought... Uh, Man in the High Castle was well done. We don't need to go back into all that. We talked about it before. I am only now about two thirds of the way. That's, through. that's an Amazon Amazon. That's Prime. on Amazon yeah. Prime. Yeah, um, I'm about two thirds of the way through. Uh, no spoilers, please. The second season of Fargo, which I think is indisputably much better than the first season of Fargo, and I thought the first season of Fargo was really pretty good. Um, I will throw out a loop. I'll throw a curveball out here and say that I. I really enjoyed um, Walter Simonson's uh, new graphic novel um, based upon Thor um, called Ragnarok, um, which I know you guys have not read. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I used to be an enormous comic nerd. How do you nerd. know? How do you know? <laughs> I used to be an enormous comic nerd, and I'm, I'm, I, every now and then, on the advice of people, I, I dip my toes back in. I think it's really, really well done. Um, other than that, you know, I don't. You know, I don't see new movies in the theater all that often, and I don't. Um, right. Um, I don't see, and I don't read new books. I read a lot of old books because I'm working on a book myself, so I, I don't have much on on that front either. I am reading just to just to catch. I mean, just to um, since we're talking about books, this is not a new book, but uh, um, 
but it's a great author. Uh, Robert Stone's Damascus Gate. Um, I'm a huge Robert Stone fan. Um, kind of a sort of a novelist, novelist, I guess. He was like really well known for a while, and and um, wrote a couple really brilliant books, and um, got a very hippie '70s kind of era. But uh, Damascus Gate is in the '90s. It's really great, and it's a wonderful reread. Of, I think I wrote it years ago. Um, that's what I'm reading right this minute, and I'm enjoying it. And that's kind of a weird thing. About, um, I, mean, I always feel guilty when I'm reading a book that I love because I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm not reading the new thing. I should be reading the new thing. But sometimes it's really, really hard. I will say that uh, I will make one um, New Year's bizarre, and I wasn't going to tell you, but I'm going to make it anyway, a bizarre New Year's, um, not resolution, but goal. Is that uh, it's a goal? This is a goal. Yeah, not a goal. This goal, and then we could go. Then we can move on. But I, I do want to make. I want to. I want to say this publicly so that I'm held accountable for it for the for the next year. Um, the newest thing in the world is the newest thing people talk about is like micro dosing LSD. Have you heard about this? No. Of course you have. They're like tiny little doses that don't really give you a trip, but they kind of affect you during the day. They make you more creative and stuff. And apparently, it's a thing that people are doing. And I've been reading a lot about it. And I kind of want to do it. At some point in 2016, there I've said it. Okay, you do that. I will. I will say that everybody should go see Spotlight, which is the best. Which is okay. the best movie of 2015. And among the books that I really, really uh, thought were remarkable, uh, my friend Todd Lindbergh's book, The Heroic Heart, which is an exploration of of what heroism is and what what kind of heroes. We need now, uh, which I think is is really a, a remarkable uh, piece of work, and um, I am halfway through um, Andrew Roberts's amazing biography of Napoleon, which yeah, um, which is just staggeringly. Good. I have that. Yeah, um, I'm going to microdose and then dive into that. Okay. Um, uh, now, <laughs> There's no reaction. I just told you this thing, and no one. Will, okay, fine. fine I'm not, I am it. not uh, going to microdose. That's all I'm going to say. I can't microdose. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I. You need to be more in touch. I, uh, that's right. Microdosing leads to macrodosing. That's my only concern. Beautiful. Exactly. Exactly. So. Um, <laughs> well, gentlemen, you know, uh, this is our most um, uh, sponsored podcast, and I think we need to uh, we need to conclude with uh, one of our one of our best and uh, and most reliable sponsors, Harry Shave, uh, which, as you know, is uh, is my uh, shaving system of choice. The holiday season finally here, and so. Maybe your, uh, you know, uh, my holiday gift giving season is sort of over, except for, of course, Rob and Jonah who need presents. And, uh, but I don't know if they already get Harry's stuff, but if you're stressing out over the guy in your family who's impossible to shop for your dad, your brother, Santa, a secret Santa gift. Ordinarily, if I told you to get them shaving supplies, you'd call me crazy, but trust me on this. Go to harrys.com, check out their saving sets. Okay. Get one for yourself first. So you'll see because these shaving kits are awesome. Get one for every guy on your list. Thank me for the suggestion later. These are incredibly high-quality razors. They're really good-looking. They're sleek. Uh, and, you know, the others cost you an arm and a leg, but not Harry's because uh, Harry's are, are uh, reasonably priced. Uh, they sent me a holiday shaving set that comes with a copper-plated razor handle, a couple of five-blade cartridges, shaving cream that smells and feels great, and a cool travel kit to hold everything when I'm on the move. All of this in a box that's really good looking and that people will like, so you won't even have to wrap it, by the way. It is a no-brainer 
dad, coworker, whatever best shave I have had in a long time that I use. I've been using it for a long time. Avoid that aimless trip to the mall, wandering around, having a nervous breakdown. Check out harrys.com. Get a few gifts. Treat yourself while you're at it, and Harry's will give you, the Glop listener, $5 off your first purchase when you go to harrys.com and enter the promo code GLOP. And even more important, not more important than Harry's, but important for Glop listeners, we need to tell you that on uh, – we seem to have a disagreement because our producer Scott says February 7th. My calendar says February 6th, but I'm going to go with February 7th because Scott is uh, much more – a reliable person than I am, in Manchester, New Hampshire, two or three days before the uh, Republican primary and the Democratic primary in New Hampshire, there will be a live Glop Culture podcast event, live. Rob Long, Jonah Goldberg, and me, plus Harry Shave, and who knows who else will be sponsoring, and we'll be talking about Everything that we talked about today, again, is my guess. We'll probably be talking about Trump and Cruz and talk radio. And gold. 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 And and Star Wars. And, and, you know. I'm being silenced. What's on Netflix? What's on Amazon? (laughs) I'm being Uh, silenced. Because you've been silenced? No, I'm saying microdosing and no one's saying that. And and we'll talk about microdosing while while Rob is like out, you know. While I'm being really creative. While the uh, while he's singing White Rabbit to himself over in the in the in the corner uh, <laughs> and screaming about how the clocks are melting and we have vests and but, but maybe they really are, Jonah. Maybe you just don't see it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Then so we'll talk Man in the High Castle again because we're seeing things that aren't there, and that's that's what's what's really happening. So um, if you're if you're uh, in around, want to take a little trip up <laughs> from the northeast to uh, to join us to. See See us to say hello to us to to participate in um, in in Glop Live. We've done it a couple of times. To freak out Rob with the trails when you move your fingers around. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the last time we did one of these live, I think was it's that like was- your mouth. It's got a mouth of its own. Uh, uh, well, you know, Rob will be microdosing. Jonah will have a nice scotch, and I'll be sitting there feeling sorry for myself with a nice tea. So pretty much, uh, it's like our sort weekend. of like a pineapple child date at Hanukkah. That's right, exactly. That's right. So, if, by the way, if you want to bring me a nice Hanukkah present to give to my kids two months late, it's uh, uh, that would be welcome. But uh, sure. but but really, you don't have to do that. Anyway, I hope you'll join us. Uh, it's as always been uh, a, a great pleasure. Buy gold, use Harry Shave, go to uh, use the use this uh, fantastic new email system. Um, that Rob uh, told you about. Sandbox. Sandbox. And, uh, and of course, uh, uh, gold. Buy gold. Yeah, we're, not, we're not even asking them to buy gold. No, we're just, just asking them the newsletter. Just, just call and get the newsletter. the number. Lear, Lear Capital. Capital. All you say you, you heard about it on Glob. Say you heard about it on Glob. It's all you have to do. And you might get more Glob. That's what I'm saying. If you want more Glob, a lot of you say you want more of it. This is the way to get more of it. That's all I'm saying. And you solutions. <laughs> exactly. So, These so, are solutions. These are hard solutions. So, yeah. Have a Merry Christmas. Have a Happy New Year. Uh, Rob, uh, microdose to your heart's delight. Thank you. Uh, Jonah, go see a grown up movie. Uh, we'll see you soon, fellas. Okay. Later. Bye. Picture yourself 
In a boat on a river With tangerine trees and marmalade skies Somebody calls you You answer quite slowly A girl with kaleidoscope eyes Cellophane flowers of yellow and green Towering over your head Look for the girl with the sun in her eyes And she's gone! Ricochet. Join the conversation. Follow her bow to a bridge by a fountain where rocking horse people eat marshmallow pies. Everyone smiles as you drift past the flowers that grow so incredibly high. Newspaper taxis appear on the shore, waiting to take you away. Climb in the back with your head in the clouds, and you're gone!